bitch, please. Oh, bitch, please, my ass. You want a sandwich? Dig that. Oh, hell yeah. She's a bad I'm a black man in a white world. I'm a black man in a white world. If I wasn't a Christian man, I'd probably be kicking in your ass. I uh, I, I gave a little money. It wasn't that much, but I gave a little money for a, a scholarship program that was. That, uh, that that was for uh, journalism students. Mm-hmm. That was back when you know when the, it wasn't that long ago, but it was back when the there actually was a, a journalism school at the U. Journalism is not relevant anymore, so there's right. no journalism school. It's like you know mass communications or evolving right. communications. Who knows what they call it? It's not they, they they won't use the word journalism. That'll turn people off. Well, it's it's funny because in in stone. The building still, uh, Murphy Hall is still called the School of Journalism. Yeah, yeah, it's etched in stone, right? Right. <laughs> but in practice, no, it's the it's more it's, communications. It's, it's the Hubbard School of Communication, right. which is funny because you know the the Hubbards, who of course have have you know billions of dollars, literally, um, and are um, are one of the top contributors to the Republican Party. There, you know, there was a time when the Hubbards said, "Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna give you, you know, we're gonna give you, you know, twenty million dollars, and all you have to do is put your name on the school." They would have said, "Get the hell out of here!" Now it's like, "Oh, we've been saved." Right. <laughs> yeah, times well, times do change. But anyway, I gave a little money for this scholarship right. program, and so I I started getting uh, getting emails and occasional mm-hmm. phone calls. From, naturally, from one of the fundraisers at the U. Not for the journalism school, of course. They don't have fundraisers, but from one of the guys, you know, what do, what do they call the, the department that raises money? Oh, I know what you're talking about. I mean, anyway, for, I... For athletics, it's called the Golden Gopher Fund. But. Well, there's that for them, yeah. Right. This was like the general fund, right. and, and, you know, they kept kept sending me emails, and the guy would call me up, he'd leave messages, he'd say, you know, Say, Mike, uh, you know, uh, we're doing some fascinating things. I'd just like to talk to you about them and see if you're interested, you know. And I, I, I never answered, of course, any of those. And finally one day I, I, um, I shot him an email and I said, uh, I said hey, uh, you know, it's, I, you, you should probably know that um, under no circumstances am I ever going to give to the general fund unless, unless you unless you basically defund the athletic department. And if you do that, um, I, I'm going to give you, as soon as you do it, I'm going to give you $15,000. Of course, I didn't have 15000 to give them, but it didn't matter because they weren't going to defund the athletic <laughs> But it, it worked perfectly. They never contacted me again. Right. Well, it's strange. I did become a lifetime um, member of the Alumni Association, and that was... You know, they would take out 20 bucks a paycheck up to a certain amount. I, you know, never noticed it, never heard from them. But ever since then, I can't get them to stop. Yeah, yeah. You know, the mailings, the emails, the the things that, that, you know, you get the email, hey, don't forget us when you die, basically. Right, of course, yeah. <laughs> and the, the older you get them, right. the more fervent the messages. 
get uh, put us in your 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 wheel or whatever they you know it's called you know you know the gift that'll keep giving this that and the other it's like sure as I walk around the campus and I can't find many <laughs> black American students now I can find uh, students who are descent direct descent from Africans. You know, well, you know, East Africa or Somalia, they'll take those with a, in a heartbeat. The but thing is, you would get, you would get those same messages from a church you attend or a synagogue, mm-hmm. and so it's it's kind of relevant because you know, I mean, uh, I guess in a lot of ways, sports are are the national religion these days. Let me ask you this about sports, and then we can move <laughs> on to a different topic. What are your thoughts on um, NIL, na- name, image, and likeness, and uh, the transfer portal? The ability to just say, I'm out of here, without right. telling your coach, telling anybody. You just you go see somebody in the compliance office, and it happens. You just don't show up one day. Right. Well, I, I do think a, a, an email would be appropriate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I never forget the day I found out about it. I was going to a team meeting, first meeting of the year for the so- women's soccer program. And I go in there to give my yearly spiel about this is what you get, take care of it, you know, this is how I take care of you, this is how you can get on my shit list, and these different things. And... Um, Right before me is the person from the compliance office. And I see these looks on the athletes' faces with their mouth open, <laughs> eyes big as, and I was like, okay, what the heck is he talking about? And I get there right as he's stating, you don't have to tell your coach. All you got to do is see me. And I was like, Huh? And he wrapped up his speech, and I was, and I was dumbfounded, and I came my speech. And then afterwards, I went and saw the, the head coach of the team, and I was like, what was he talking about? And she's like, oh, it's the new transfer portal. They can just go whenever they feel like it. Oh, I'm without, all for that. Without any punishment for the, for the first uh, transfer. Now, if you're a habitual transfer person, then you sit out a year. But, well, uh, you know, the, the, certainly the Gopher basketball team has benefited from those things because, uh, well, I, I guess benefit is questionable terms. Yeah. Actually, didn't, don't win games, but right. but they will. They will. I mean, they wouldn't have been able to field a team this year. Right. So there is that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's um, here's the... You know, I don't know if you know of the negative. Here's the negative. There's more kids in the portal than there are opportunities. No. And when yeah, you, and when you put your name in the portal, you basically have cut yourself off from the school that you're at, meaning also financially at the huh. end of that semester quarter, unless you somehow rework yourself back onto that team and in that program. You are you are truly a free agent, but with no finances at all. Yeah, that's that's gonna be tough, isn't it? 
Yeah, there's uh, what was it? And that includes like Division two and three making that decision, thinking that they can go up to Division one. But it was like 45% of the people who made that decision wound up going nowhere. Yeah, no. and now, that doesn't shock me either. I, it's, it's, I mean, you you were around athletes at the U for a long time, mm-hmm. and you know, on the one hand, I I just don't see the value of a big buck athletic department. But on the other hand, you you saw you saw it from a different perspective, and you saw how really how how the system doesn't actually do 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 right with 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 the uh, with their employees no. not meaning meaning the the athletes so it's it's kind of like a lose lose proposition from my perspective yeah and uh, the school that they left at that point is off the hook totally off the hook yeah and um, technically other schools can't reach out to you until you make that decision now, the way the 55% that do wind up somewhere get around it is they let their coach or confident know who then goes and starts talking to other schools on their behalf. Ah, the high okay. school coach. Yeah. To find a place for them to land. Well, you just have to hope that uh, your high school coach doesn't hate your guts then. Right. And it's somewhat connected. Because sometimes they do. Right. Oh, yeah. Because um, I had high school coaches who, who basically stayed, who helped me get to the U and whatnot, who basically, you know, you asked them and said, why didn't you push harder for such and such? It's because I, I knew he'd go to college and screw up, and that's going to be hard for me the next time to go back to that college coach and push somebody who is more deserving. So... Well, yeah, they don't. Coaches always don't always know best. You know, I had I had a high school counselor. I didn't know I had one. Um, nobody knew. We knew that there were these people called counselors. We didn't know what they did. Right. Um, you know, probably the only people, the only the only people who had ever had anything any engagement with the counselors at all would have would have been the the girls who got pregnant. You know, they might have gone in there for some advice. But you didn't really need they need uh, uh, three of them for that. We never talked to them. But um, and in our you know late in our junior year, we all would get called into our counselor's office so they could give us advice on, on you know, applying to a college. Now I I went as I say you know I said said I've been on, I was on that campus you know for ten years so I went to, went to junior high school and high school at the University High School which of course is long gone now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I kind of knew the ropes, and I had already made up my mind that I was going to go to the U, and so I didn't really care about any advice they gave me. But it's the counselor, uh, my counselor uh, told me that she thought the right fit for me would be for me to go to the Citadel. A military school. Yeah, yeah. Like, if you were to pick the one college in the world that I wasn't suited for, it would have been the Citadel. Where, by the way, I would have been killed in the first 72 hours in hazing. Not that they would have let me in, but you get the idea. Right. Yeah. And I just looked at her like, I, 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 I was dumbfounded. I, 
you know me, I'm not silent that often. I just, just what? <laughs> the Citadel. And, and she said, yeah, she said, you know, I think you could use a little discipline. And I, I just said, okay, no, I got to go now. Uh, what do you think of name, image, and likeness, athletes being able to um, make a little cash these days? Bring it on. I, I think it's great, don't you? Yeah, only only 6% of the top athletes right. are making any real money. Right. Probably the ones who really don't need it. Right. You know, those are the ones who are going to sign up. You know, you take uh, Hopkins' own Paige sure. Buecher to the top. Well, what could be more American than, than giving money to the people who don't need it? <laughs> you know, she's going she's gonna to make pro dollars and whatnot, and she's going to make endorsements. And yeah, now she's signed with Gatorade and somebody else in college, making her one of the highest, you know, endorsed. Wow. College athletes. They hate to. They hate to use the term "paid," but endorse college athletes in the country. And you know, just a few years ago, she was just a, another high school student walking down the halls in Hopkins. Right. Well, and and it's funny because they said actually, per capita, the advertisers are using female athletes more than male athletes. Oh yeah, I I didn't know it, but I I'm not shocked. Yeah, they they you know they're they're kind of everything that it, advertisers look like. They're they're wholesome, you know. They're they're usually they're they're pretty good looking, you know. They they uh, they seem genuine, and everybody roots for them. I mean, everybody who has any common sense, right? Because uh, I guess because you probably should. <laughs> So I think I think that's that's great. They're 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 the ones I root for. More so than you know, than the guys who are five star recruits and one and dunners. So because the women aren't gonna make they're not gonna make the huge money. Oh no, even when they go pro. Right. Well right. you see Brittany Griner, the top WNBA player, is now being held in Russia. Yeah. For um uh, CB cannabis oil and something in a vape pen. Yeah, how scary is that? Yeah, of all places, the 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 home of the the madman. Um, yeah. What do you think? Here we are. We're just talking about games. Yeah. No, I was going to ask you. What are your thoughts on that? That war and that person. Well, as, as I said, the one. You know, the thing earlier, the, the one good thing is that democracy is now, now being respected again, and people are, people are seeing the merits of it. But, um, you know, it's, the scariest stories are all the ones that, you, you know, when, when you don't know how they end. And uh, uh, I, think that, I think that more or less we've played it, we meaning country is played it about right um, you don't want all out World War 3 because the only the good thing about World War 3 would be that there'll never be a World War 4 right uh, but uh, kind of a heavy price to pay for that here's the thing a lot of people a lot of people 
have made the comparison. I'm not sure it's completely accurate, but a lot of people have compared Putin to, to Hitler. Mm-hmm. And um, so there, there are problems with that. But let's, let's just say that, that Putin is, well, I mean, he's the closest thing we have to Hitler right now. He's obviously, he, the difference being that with, with, with Putin, I think there's a method to his madness, you know. And I think with, with Hitler, there was a madness to his method. Um, it's a little different sort of thing, but it's scary as hell. Imagine, imagine Hitler is in the bunker. And he's getting ready to, to take the cyanide or shoot himself in the head, I guess. I guess Eva took the cyanide. And Hitler decided on shooting himself in the head. They're, they're in the bunker. It's, you know, it's, it's over with. They, there's nothing left for them. And all of a sudden, Himmler shows up. And Himmler says, i got great news. We've developed the atomic bomb. And, uh, you know, we've even got, we've even got our, our good friend, uh, Charles Lindbergh, to uh, to uh, help us uh, deliver it to uh, to Washington D.C. We're going to blow up the Capitol, and uh, we got nothing left to lose. Let's do it. Um, you think Hitler would say no? No, he wouldn't. Probably not. So what if what if Putin? Is, he looks up one day. He's he's his yacht has been confiscated. They've identified his yacht now. It's in a port somewhere in Italy. Uh, what is it? Like, I don't know, it's like one of the biggest yachts in the world. It's more like a battleship. Uh, the, the, the entire in, entire country of Russia is, is now broken. Uh, ruble means nothing. Um, they've made enemies in almost every country in the world. Um, and, and there's nowhere left to turn. They've, you know, they've... they've just basically, just every, the whole country has been destroyed by the foolishness of Putin. Um, he's already got the atomic bomb. What would be the downside for him to deliver it? Well, speaking of downside or upside, do you understand what the what the upside of this uh, invasion was in the first place? Uh, well, for Putin? Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was uh, basically he was, he, you know, because he's getting older and he wants uh, he wants to be remembered for something for some incredible achievement. He's going to restore Russia to the empire it once was. That's that's his fantasy, and nobody's there. That's one of the problems with guys like that. Nobody's there to tell him he's crazy. I mean, we saw we saw it's it's uh, you know we saw how our our most recent president before Biden you know we saw how he surrounded himself with sickness and you know there were there were even even people close to him who were saying you know um, our next move we should just we should just uh, stage a military coup of our own country. These are people very close to Trump. That's because he was surrounded by people. Right. Luckily, luckily there were others who said no, but with Putin, there's no one to say no. Well, that's <clears throat> if there's any democracy left, that is the chunk of democracy we do have left. Yeah, and and it's it, you get to that point where now now it is there's no choice. Now there now we got to go in there. We, NATO has to go in there, and 
just basically, you know, tear apart what's 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 there in Russia, and, and it's it ain't a good thing. None of it's good. And the thing about an atomic bomb, which is the ultimate weapon, is that it's 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 only of value if you don't use it. Right. But a guy like Putin, in the end, why would he care? Yes, the ultimate bluff. Yeah, it's a great bluff. It's a, a bad thing to do. It, it doesn't help you or anyone else. But like I say, if he's, if he's got no options, if he's decided that he's going to, if I can't have it, nobody can, who knows? But I think we're playing it right. Uh, and I think yeah, there's a lot of psychoanalysis of, of Putin. I'm not not, you know, I, that's somewhat fraught, you don't really know, but what you know is he's an evil guy. He, uh, he has visions of himself as, as, as the leader of an empire. Not, not, a, not of a country, but an empire. But it's not an empire, it never will be an empire again. There will be no empires Because basically just about everybody has the economy. So everybody's got that, that ultimate weapon. And when everybody has it, no one has it. Theoretically. Right. You know, it's, it's uh, Henry Kissinger used to call it for balance and terror. Where is old Henry when we need him? I don't know, but uh, on, the, on, you know, on the bad side, he was a war criminal. But on the good side, he was dating Jill St. John. Well, there's a reference. A lot of people are not going to get it. I get it. Thank goodness. <laughs> well, speaking of the ultimate bluff, what do you think of uh, where gambling has has gone to and where it's headed? And do you think that the state should be involved? So, what do you say? Now, give me that again. Uh, uh, gambling. Should the state be involved? Yeah. Where you think it's headed? Uh, yeah, the state should the state should be involved because too much too much money, which you know could give us at least some some tax money. Too much money is is going un, uncaptured when it's just as easily be captured here. People people who want to gamble gamble. You know, we're talking about sports betting here mm-hmm. uh, because you can do any other kind of gambling already. But sports betting. You, if you if you want to bet on sports, you do. It's it's a it's not as easy as some people might think because you probably have to fund your account with with Bitcoin or, or some some other currency, cryptocurrency. But you know, the urge to gamble, the need to gamble, for sick people like myself, <laughs> is so profound that people are going to figure it out, and and they do. And I, I you know I make a I make a bet on sports. Try to make at least one bet a day in sports. Now I'm I'm not probably not the profile of a compulsive gambler because for me that might mean betting ten dollars a day. But I like to bet something. Um, but you know there are a lot of people who bet a lot more and and it could it could add up to a fair amount of tax money. And we're just losing all that potential. People are going to gamble anyway, and their money is going God knows where. Some offshore casino where probably it's not being used for humanitarian good. So, yeah, I'm, but I think it has to be done right. And I think it has to be accessible. If you're going to have state gambling, then it should be available to everybody. And uh, 
some of the proposals I've heard are, are kind of crazy, like, oh, well, you know, you'd, you'd have to go to, uh, to either Canterbury or, uh, or uh, maybe uh, Canterbury or, of course, of course, I guess the, the, the Indian casinos, uh, maybe all of them, uh, maybe just Mystic Lake, probably just Mystic Lake. You'd have to go to one of them to place a bet. Well, that's insane. Uh, you know, so you know, you'd, you'd have to drive in many cases 50 miles, and then there'd be two because two places you could bet, but they're three miles apart. That's true. I don't know, and a lot of it is a lot of it. Maybe you know, there'd be an app that people could could bet using their app. But uh, sports betting is really popular among among old people, young people too. But a lot of that money comes from from old people, older people who aren't really. Uh, aren't really that tech savvy so it has to be pretty easily available if you're going to have it but yeah I, I'm in favor of it because I, I I look at who's opposed to it and it's uh, you know basically the people who've always been opposed to it have, have been the people at Mystic Lake because they've got the gambling franchise and they don't want any other kind of gambling to be available it's them or it's, a, it's, a, it's some of the church ladies but um not many of them, you know. There's just there's and it's funny because there's there's a woman who, in the name of, of I guess of, of God and, and Jesus, has been opposing all forms of gambling all her life, which probably goes back 50 years or so now. And uh, you know she's crusading, crusading uh, against against gambling, against any uh, any legalized gambling. Uh, and, and the money she gets for lobbying is, is of course, coming from the Indian <laughs> which to me sort of takes some of the right. some of the sheen off of what she's doing. It makes me uh, unable to really think that this is someone who's serious about it. Probably played a little church bingo at some point. <laughs> yeah, well, of course, yeah, yeah. So um, I'm for it. Uh, basically, I'm for it if it's done right, if it's accessible. Then yeah, I, I, I think it should, I think we should have it. Well, you, you state that you um, place a bet a day, or at least try to. Yeah. Why is that? Because for me, I I know a lot of why a lot of people do it, but for me, mm-hmm. it lessens my ability to watch a game because I'm too worried about the money I just put on. Oh sure, yeah, no, no, it's it's, it's but I I'm. You know, take take football for example. Take the NFL, which is the ultimate sport to bet on. Um, first of all, I'm a niche better. I find one particular kind of betting that works for me. Uh, I bet I bet the NFL, but all I all I bet are, are the halftime lines of NFL games. The reason is I beat them. I if I bet just on the outcome of the game, on the spread, I would I would just there's no way I could win. It's, the lines are too good. So I do think that if you're going to do it, you better figure out a way to do it and, a, and at least kind of come close to breaking even. Um, but why I bet every day? Well, because I suffer from OCD, and I, I need that to occupy my brain. And this is a way that I can do that, even if it's just one bet a day, without, uh, without getting burned. Um, and I will say this, that... Before I discovered antidepressants in my really heavily depressed days, I 
I was a I was the classic compulsive gambler, and and so I understand that lives can be ruined this way. I I don't deny it, um, but lives can be ruined in in so many ways. You know, I mean, we go to the comparison with alcohol, et cetera, et cetera. But um, I you know I I I once bet I once bet six thousand dollars on on the Rose Bowl. And this was like back in the early 80s, and I wasn't making that kind of money a month. Right. So I know what it's, I know what it's like to be a compulsive gambler. Once I started taking antidepressants, uh, I was just I was just you know getting my OCD needs met with with small bets, smaller. And every year, every year I become more and more financially stable, and every year I bet less money. But I, I know that I'm. I know that there are those people who are going to have problems. Just like, but I always think that they probably already do because right. there are just so many ways to gamble. I know that's a weak defense, but that's the one I have. Well, and they're also just addictive um, personalities. So, right, exactly. You know, my my mother was. Um, she was she was addicted to uh, barbiturates. Back in the back, probably back in the you know, from what I knew, back in the fifties, because what what would happen is people, mostly women, because they're the ones who would open up the doctors. They would go to the doctor's office and they'd say, "Look, I you know I can't, uh, um, you know." They didn't know they were depressed. They they blame most of their problems in many cases on not being able to sleep, which of course they couldn't do because they were depressed. And they'd go to the doctor's office. You know, I can't sleep. I'm, you know, I, I need something to help me. And the doctors would prescribe barbiturates. But the problem with barbiturates was it was too easy to die if you if you took too many, or maybe you mixed them up with a, a few cocktails or whatever. So then, in the in the late fifties and sixties, people like my mother they 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 were basically shifted to benzos. You know. Ativan and, and uh, Valium, things like that. Well, they were highly addictive. Turned out they were probably more dangerous because they were so addictive. But doctors prescribed them because it was very hard for people to accidentally overdose with them. Doctors seemed somewhat pragmatic. Barbit- and uh, Go ahead. No, I was going to say barbiturates kind of sound like uh, today's uh, fentanyl opioids. opioids. Well, they're you know barbiturates. If you if you took them for sleep, um, they would definitely. I, I, I don't even call it sleep. I think it's like not being awake because the sleep is so is so it's just awful sleep. It's not good sleep. And uh, but at least at least and I think the people who took it they just thought well they took them and then you know later on they woke up. Maybe it didn't seem like they'd been sleeping, but at least at least they weren't awake. And, uh, but yeah, so they were, so a lot of people would get addicted to them. And, uh, and then later on, of course, uh, you know, people, people who, especially people who are depressed were, they, well, they've always been, they've always been very much attracted to, to, um, to, uh, opiates and opioids, you know. That's one reason why in, in my family, there's so many people who, um, who were uh, heroin addicts, and um, you know, unfortunately, my brother was one of them. Now, my brother 
get heroin, but uh, he did commit suicide um, later on. The depression just was too much. He couldn't overcome it. So you know, I've seen the worst of it. That's for sure. And um, uh, so, so I know what addiction to almost anything can do. Although addiction to, to drugs like opiates and opioids, I feel that that you know, there as much as anything, it's it's not that those drugs. Um, ruin lives is that people whose lives are kind of already ruined very much attracted to them because it gives them at least a little bit of relief. Yeah. And, and in my case, you know, I, I tell you, I, a therapist once said to me, whatever you do, don't stop gambling. Because she knew I could handle it. And she knew that I was going to do something because of my, my obsessive compulsive disorder. So it's you know it is it is a lot better than a lot of the things I could have done that would have destroyed me. Well, that was nice of her to um, at least figure that out for you. Yeah, it, it probably you know probably wouldn't. Have. I I made a lot of money at the track in the early days, mm-hmm. so I, I actually kind of made a living at the track for a, a two or three years when track was, was pretty new and there were a lot of people going to the track who didn't know how to play the horses. So so the money was flowing pretty well in those days. And I was just I was just lucky enough to be there at, at the right time in the right place. Um, so I you know, I, I, I guess I, I have a somewhat jaunt view. Now my wife, she uh, she hated gambling. Like it was like a scary hated gambling. And uh, uh, one day, I remember one day, this would have been about, this would have been about 1987, I'd say. You know, track was still pretty new. And uh, so, uh, and, uh, and I had, I had had a pretty good pick six. My brother and I had um, a few weeks earlier. So one day I'm sitting at my desk and I'm working on, I had a bunch of jobs in those days. That was when I was sort of between newspapers and radio and uh, so I, I'm, I'm working I'm uh, actually I think that was that particular day as I, rec- I had to, I had so many little gigs in those days it was just crazy and one of the things I did was that was I, uh, I edited and wrote a gynecology newsletter <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. like I said anything that came over the transom I'd say sure I can do that now I had better gigs I was I was local correspondent for Ad Age, and I was writing a column, a, a stock market column, for another publication. So I had a lot of things I did that were fun, and I was just getting into into radio commercials and things. But, um, but uh, yeah, so I, I had a lot of things I was doing. And I was at my desk, and I uh, looked up, and my wife had taken taken uh, taken in the mail, and she opens an envelope, and like she turns red with rage. She started stomping toward me. I go, I'm in trouble. You know, <laughs> I don't know why. I'm in trouble. And she, and then she gets closer, and I see she's got the the bank statement. And she said, "Where did all this money come from?" Instead of being you know, happy it's, it's that there's a, a lot of money, you know, it's, it's the most, most. I know a lot of I know a lot of people who get very angry with their spouses because they've spent all the money. Mm-hmm. 
but I was in trouble because I'd made money. Right. But everybody has a, their own perspective on this, and it's in many ways, in many cases, it's just very emotional. It's not, not what you'd call practical, or, or you know, it's just it's just what what people do, and uh, I, so I kind of respect it, but at the same time, it does scare me. And we're always going to have that. And we're always going to have people who gamble, and I think that that a, uh, a knowledgeable and rational society finds a way to balance it. Well, it's odd for me because I work with guys who plan gambling trips and this, that, and the other. They tell me that's the only way they can watch sports. They have to have a a tie-in or a rooting interest or whatever. Right. Like, I'm the exact opposite. I would never be able to watch a game I had a bet. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be too nervous. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that... In my case, it's because I wouldn't watch the game at all. That that stuff probably doesn't doesn't bother me. But I will say it's true. You're watching a game, you got money on it, and uh, I think that's why. In, in professional sports, you know, they they've cultivated this gambling craze. They, they're they're the ones who want it and seem to need it the most. So yeah, it's it's uh, it's. Definitely, as a factor, people, people, you know, more and more people don't really root for the home team anymore. They, they root for their bets. They root because they've, uh, you know, they got the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the company pool going. <laughs> they've got, you know, all sorts of things going. Fantasy and, football. Well, for sure, fantasy football. I mean, uh, my, my uh, middle son and I have been building a fantasy football team. You probably with your kid too, right? I don't play fantasy football. Okay. I, my son does. Well, you really are a purist. <laughs> my, my son, oh, I salute you for that. Well, number one, I don't root for any professional football team. Maybe the Chiefs a little. Mm-hmm. But uh, when the Cardinals left St. Louis, I was pretty much done with the NFL. I didn't even care when the Rams came or when the Rams left. It was like, eh, okay. But, um, no, and, and I played it, first time I played it, I was in college, uh, had two roommates, and we were living in South, we were living in South Minneapolis, where the homes were and whatnot, we were in a uh, bungalow, and um, guys, one of the guys that I lived with grew up in that neighborhood. It was over by Old Regina High School and whatnot. He grew up in that neighborhood. Oh, sure. And he had tons of friends who still lived in that neighborhood that their parents did. And so they would stop by, and that's how the whole thing of fantasy football came for us. And I was so bad at it. It's like, I'll never do this ever again. And bad in the sense of that we didn't, like, play each other. We just played the points. Uh-huh. And I've had more second-place finishes than anybody every week than, it, than anybody and finished, like, second to last overall. <laughs> uh, I've experienced that, too. You know, it was, it, 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 what, it's what happens when, when you're knowledgeable but conservative. Right. Yeah, you it, you got to take some chances there. And that's why so often, like, in, you know, we got the, of course, we got the uh, NCA pool coming up. 
and and that's why so often what happens is you know it's the it's the uh, kind of a cliche, but you know the the the, the person in of course in in, in lore in, in our lore it's just the it's the uh, you know it's the woman who knows nothing about the right. game. And she picks the team that has, you know, her favorite mascot or her uniform. And damn it, she wins. And the guys, of course, they're they're ruined. I mean, it's, it's like you know, they're not potent, you know, for the next year. It's like it's like nothing can cure their their erectile dysfunction. It's the worst thing at all. <laughs> oh, yeah. and whereas I, I I always figure if if I don't win it, I want somebody who knows absolutely. Because that, you know, I feel better about that. I don't feel like I got outsmarted. Well, for me, it was like, if I can't win this, I want to beat as many of the guys who think they're experts as possible. Sure, right. You know, just to be able to shut them up. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I've been, I've been in a, this pool with a, my, actually, there again, my son and I, we've been in this pool with, with like up to 100 people. Uh, for many years, and uh, most of the time I finished last or near the end. But you know, once I won it, and that's all I have to do. So I'm, you know, it's the old expression: I'm playing with house money. And I always tell people who, who like they they bet on football, and um, they make a lot of money one week, and uh, and they say, now I'm playing with house money. And I say, oh no, you're playing with your money now. Right. Um, it's don't give it back. But they always give it back. And that's another reason why I don't gamble, because I can't afford to lose anything. And if I win, right. it's like, no, you ain't getting this back. I'm done. So Right. Well, that's And I've always told people who go to casinos, look, you can't win. It's, it's a... Uh, it's basically... Casinos are basically... You're, you're, what you're dealing with is money-changing machines. Mm-hmm. You put a dollar in, and they give you 90 cents back. And you might win once, but uh, it's still it's that's still what it is. So if you find yourself ahead, well, you should just quit. Um, people don't, but you know that that's what you kind of should do. Um, I can't let you get away with this. How did you write for a topic that you know nothing or experience nothing about? The guy, guy. I can't even pronounce the word. The gynecology Gynec- newsletter. Right. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, that's that's where your uh, your homework comes in. You uh, uh, you, you got to be a, a pretty good student to learn about all these things you have nothing about, and then it's just a question. It's the old story, you know. You just kind of fake it till you make it, and um, it's uh, you, 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 it's always amazing what you what you can do, what you're willing to do, and what you can do when, when there's money on the table. I guess. But the so I was just it was just research kind okay. of stuff, and and uh, and the doctors, the doctors who hired me, they would they would give me ideas, and, and so that that was a big part of it too. But the one question that I have to ask you is, you didn't write the paper for the Gopher basketball team. <laughs> no, I, uh, you know, I was no Gengelhoff. Well, I don't think she wrote the paper herself. You know how that all went down, don't you? 
Why so now, now for people who don't know, we're talking. We're going back to uh, to the Clem era. Right. And a Clem, a guy I really loved. Clem, yes. He was a great guy. And uh, so, a bunch of a bunch of the, the guys on the team were taking this this class, which I'm, I imagine was probably offering a fair, fairly easy credit. What like kind of it was like a health? Was it was it just a health class or I think was, it was it? No, I think it was. No, the health class on campus was hard. I think this was more like at the time, and you got to remember the time. It was more on the women's health, or women's studies, something like that. Okay, okay, yeah. And so they they had to write uh, they had to write a paper on uh, well on women's health, and and something about was it actually precisely about the menstrual cycle or yes. something? Yeah, which I imagine they they probably didn't know too much about. So a woman who worked in the athletic department in some way assisted them. Is that fair? Yes. But what I was talking about, how she turned in the whole situation. And to this day, Clem never asked her to do it, nor has she ever said Clem asked her to do it. Right. Yeah, that's, that's a good point to make, yes. Um, she thought with good intentions she could help the basketball team, mm-hmm. but then got mad at Clem because of the whole Russ uh, Archambault treatment, treatment or oh, mistreatment sure. in her mind. Yeah. And it cost Clem Khalil uh, Alamin and then cost Clem his career because... Yeah. She turned him in because of a fight between Khalid nah. and Russ yeah. at the summer uh, Howard Polio, whatever it was called, uh, summer basketball thing. There was a fight. Russ beat the sh- crap out of Khalid, supposedly. I remember that, yeah. And Khalid's like, I'm not coming here and dealing with this. You got to get rid of this guy. And so Lim yeah. was going to get rid of Russ and... Jane, yeah. you know, because she, she was a Native American. Right, I was going to mention that. And yeah. Russ was, too, was upset yeah. that this was going down. And it's like, well, I'll get I'll get even with you and turn the whole thing in. And <laughs> so that's, yeah. where, that's where it all fell apart was her anger toward Clem and um, <laughs> a chance yeah. fight. At that, a, that's too bad. At I mean, I, of all game. the... Of all the basketball coaches who I've observed, you know, in many years, Clem was always my favorite. Yeah, mine too. We used to have him on our TV show, you know, the Stretch of Z show. Right. Back in the uh, 90s, early 90s. And uh, he was, he'd come on the show and he was just, it was just so much fun to talk basketball with him. He, he, you know, he was, he obviously was a great student of the game and a great coach. Mm-hmm. And that comes from his playing days. And right. Clem the gym. Yes. Well, I watched him, of course. I've watched him play many times. <laughs> um, so speaking of Stretch and Z, and also your KQ days, how we wrap this all up, what, what are your remembrance of that whole time? It sounds like you had a lot of things going at once. Yeah, a lot of things, a lot of uh... A lot of balls in the air that I was juggling. I mean, but you know, um, when you're 
when you're relatively young, you got a lot of energy. Um, those those are days that were always the most fun I think that I had in my career was certainly was certainly doing the TV show. And um, you know, we just we just had so much fun. We did a lot of field pieces. It's a shame that there's absolutely no interest in in this market for um, and not probably just not in many markets if any for. A, 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 a funny show that's locally produced. You know, the field pieces were, were always incredibly exciting. You take the camera. Uh, I think one of my favorite bits on the show, one of my favorite moments, they were all the ones that were best stuff is always the stuff that you don't anticipate. And and that was that was so much fun to do stuff and not really know exactly how things would go. So we... Uh, we were we were out looking for the uh, the medallion one year, the St. Paul Winter Carnival, and um, you know it's it's uh, it's it's uh, every year it seems like the medallion is worth less and less money, which is sort of a joke because it's kind of like hasn't moved up that it has, let's just say it hasn't stayed up <laughs> steady with inflation. Right. And now of course the St. Paul paper, which sponsors it, is owned by a hedge fund, and they've got like six pages of the newspaper, so. It's, it's sort of a quirky uh, local tradition. So we went out there, and we took with us a, uh, a gasoline-powered uh, jackhammer. <laughs> so we're at this park where, and there's a good deal of snow in the park, you know. Right. And and there's a guy. He's, he's I'd say probably early 80s or so. You know, got a little. He's one of these guys with a, like a little bit of a Swedish accent still going, right? And uh, he's he's shoveling. Laboring, we come along, Z and I, Mark Lenovich, and say, you know, we can make this a little easier for you. Really? Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, well, what are you talking about? Said, well, look, we have this, we have this jackhammer here, and uh, look, uh, it's a, Mark will demonstrate. Mark takes it, you know, gets this crazy look on his face, and uh, and starts, you know, drilling in the park, and not really creating big holes, but blasting away snow and and. Uh, I said, see, it's easy. Why don't you give it a shot? And the guy said, well, I don't know. Is it okay? And, uh, we said, oh, yeah, the park, the park, parks uh, recreation board has given us permission to do this. <laughs> so here's the guy, this, this like, 80-year-old Swedish guy, and he, he's drilling with a jackhammer in the middle of a park. And, of course, the more he does it, the more crazed he gets, you know. He's doing it harder and harder. He's just having the time of his life. Those are the kind of moments that that kind of stand out. We had we had a lot of fun doing that stuff, and nobody else ever did it. So, uh, and we, uh, in the end, you know, we we did a special, the because we were doing the show out of the Midwest Sports Channel, which was right. part of the WCCO Empire. So, well, you remember, you remember the days, and um, so um, the uh, uh, so so we were. Uh, we, they, they let us do a special on Channel 4. Boy, were they nervous. <laughs> but we, we did a special, on a, and the a show was Sports Friday, so we did a special for them. I think it was a Friday night, as I recall, like 10.30. And, I mean, every, like, like for two, two weeks, starting two or three weeks before the show, um, a woman who we didn't know, but she had something to do with the management, would come up to me, like, almost every day and say, uh, Boys, we're going to need that script pretty soon. I'd say, well, there is no script. She'd say, what do you mean? I said, 
there's no script. We don't use a script. This is, you know, just off-the-cuff kind of stuff. I mean, we prepare, but we don't have a script. She'd say, ah. She'd walk away, and then the next day she'd come up to me and say, are you coming with that script? <laughs> we, we just couldn't convince her there was no script. So the show killed. The right. show killed. We won our time part and, uh, you know, our day part. And, and uh, we, were, we were riding high, and we were, people were slapping us on the back. And it was a done deal, and they had a, they had a, big, uh, a big meeting to decide uh, whether, uh, whether they were going to shift the show over to Channel 4. And, like, there were six people in the meeting. There was only one who was opposed to it who happened to be a... Uh, a uh, sports anchor who many people think is a wonderful, great guy. And he threw a fit. You know, he, he was going to quit if we, if they let us do our show. So they didn't do the, they didn't do the show. They didn't I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah, I'm not really trying to conceal it. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, so that was it for the Stretch and Z show and uh, on Channel 4. We still did the show, but, right. you know, that that would have established us for, I'd say we could have done it for ten years before um, before I just would look so bad on television we couldn't do it anymore. Now was the Stretch and Z show running at the same time as your stint on Kate and on the morning show? Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, you know I remember we our first show this first Stretch and Z show uh, we it was just like. A, it was it was more like a pilot. We had no idea what we were doing. The people who worked on the show, like the technical people, mm-hmm. they were really pissed off that they had like you know the floor director, the camera guys. They all were really pissed off that they had to had to do this. They had other things they wanted to do, and and the show was was really bad. And I remember coming in on, on Monday morning to the station, and, uh, and the thing I remember most is I. Uh, during a break, I went into to Tom's studio, Tom Bernard's studio, Studio A, and uh, he wouldn't look at me. <laughs> so I knew he'd seen the show. Right. Refused to make eye contact. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the funny thing was, was like between the first and second show, everything clicked, and we got rid of all those bastards who wanted to sabotage us and didn't want to be there. We got people who wanted to work on the show, and... Uh, after that, uh, for some reason, it just clicked and it got better and better. And uh, and then what happened was eventually uh, the uh, Midwest Sports Channel uh, was uh, there was a guy who was an accountant who was put in charge. And so the first thing he did was basically just ruin the entire enterprise, demanding huge payments from cable station from cable chains that you know that weren't going to pay a lot of money to mm-hmm. carry. Midwest Sports Channel, because the Midwest Sports Channel literally had nothing except us. I mean, it was like us, and the second best thing they had, well, I think, was was um, was probably um, volleyball. Nothing wrong with volleyball. Right. But it's not really what you'd call a franchise sort of thing. Yeah, the only and, other thing yeah. they had was Twins games and... and uh, right. Wolves broadcast, maybe... Yeah, they they didn't even have yeah they well and then they didn't have that of course that was later then they just had nothing and um, you know it was is it, it was like it was the earlier days of cable but not the earliest days of cable 
uh, I'll I'll end you with this story. I got to tell you this story, and we'll end with this. Okay. When when you know when cable was really young, uh, I I I I had I had the cable, like you know before most people did. I was able to get cable, and so I started watching ESPN. But ESPN they didn't have much either. No. And uh, one of the things that shows that I found especially charming on ESPN was the weekly putt-putt tournament, which, as you might, you might probably could figure out, was sponsored by putt-putt. Right. And they had, uh, let's see, oh, oh, uh, Billy Packer was, was, remember Billy Packer, mm-hmm. a uh, celebrated basketball commentator, play-by-play guy, whatever. It was Packer and Thacker, two guys who were legit. They must have been getting paid fairly well by Putt-Putt. And it was, it was my favorite show on television. You know, it, because you'd, you'd see like, you'd see like the, 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 the head-to-head battle for the championship. You know, it'd be a couple guys like in their 40s or so with big pot bellies. More what you call athletes, you know. And, and, uh, and, uh, Thacker would, would whisper like he was doing a real golf tournament. Mm-hmm. Say, All right, he say. And Nelson addresses the tee and the storied seventeenth hole. It's off the it's off the rail. It hits the clown, bounces off the windmill, and oh he's going to have to take a two. <laughs> Loved it. I do remember Midwest Sports Channel and ES. Well, ESPN showed whatever they could. I mean, it was literally built on showing highlights at night, and then the rest of the right. day they just filled in with crap. Like, right, exactly. They they showed the national slow pitch softball tournament. Sure, <laughs> things like god awful things like that that you know couldn't well. I shouldn't say that because now they show, show <laughs> cornholing the, the bag <laughs> toss game. <laughs> a lot of people watch that show and they're very disappointed. <laughs> that was <laughs> that probably went over a lot of people's heads. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> but yeah, but it was just it was just stuff like that that. And, yeah. you know, let's face it, ESPN didn't make it until they got Big East Basketball. Big yeah, East, that's right. Big East Basketball was right. That was their franchise, Georgetown and Villanova. And, yeah. St. John's and all of those schools and Syracuse. Yeah, Will Carneseca. Right. The coaches became – that's when the coaches of basketball outside of Bobby Knight became stars and the players became superstars when they hung, because they hung around four years and you knew who they were and you knew when they were coming back and they were going to get better, and, which yeah. actually made the NBA better, by the way. Probably the best, I mean, the best, uh, the best championship game ever, for, for at least for me, might have, might have been Georgetown versus Villanova. Right. Well, yeah, because Villanova's uh, incredible upset over Georgetown. Yeah, the outcome was unexpected. Villanova had no reason being there in the first place. No, but everything they put up went in. Right. Everything they did worked like a charm. And that's because two of the players were high. <laughs> Come <laughs> to find out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, how disappointing was I when I heard that? 
Not at all. <laughs> I didn't care. What do I care? Everybody was high when I was in my formative years. Right. Except me. <laughs> well, I I wasn't, uh, you know, I drank. and But I never did smoke marijuana or do drugs for some reason. I was pretty boring. Maybe it's because I was around, and it was funny, because maybe I thought it was because I was around athletics, but then come to find out most of the athletes were high. So, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I never did understand how you could uh, <laughs> compete in a, in a game like that, you know, in a, in a basketball game or a football game while you were high, but guys did it. and Right. So who am I to say? Well, I, I can't even walk across the street when I'm high. <laughs> that, that, Which isn't very often, by the way. Right. Well, like I said, I, and I really don't even drink much anymore. So, um, Yeah, that's, that's good. I would be remiss if I didn't touch this and people would get mad at me if I don't. Mm-hmm. And I can understand if you don't want to talk about it. But uh, our, K, our days at KQ and our <laughs> so-called rivalry of football picks and black football picks and the whole thing, what do you remember about uh, the, the rise and, and the takeoff and the un- unbelievable uh, ratings of the KQ Morning Show? You know, it was it was almost like I, w- I didn't have any idea what was going on. You know, uh, obviously I had, you know, I've never worked for a radio station except for KQRS, and of course I worked there for 25 years in the morning show. Uh, if I hadn't had to retire when I was 61, uh, I might still be there, which is right. a scary thought. Um, but I had to retire because um, I'd been in the hospital, and it was one of those sort of things where, you know, you, you tell God if you if you live, you know, you're going to quit and change your evil ways. Um, not that I'm religious. I don't really believe in much of anything. But it was just one of those things. And actually, the, the morning the morning when my son was rushing me to the emergency room, it was an intestinal thing. My Basically, my intestines stopped working, and I found out they were full of scars. People die that way. But I didn't know what was going on. I just knew I was in trouble. Mm-hmm. And I called up, and it was you know, like you know 5.30 in the morning, but uh, uh, Bill was there answering the phone. You remember Bill? Yeah. Bill was answering the phone, and I said, I'm on my way to the hospital. I'm not coming in. And he said, oh, okay. Um, well, will you be here tomorrow? And I said, no, I will never be there again. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of knew it was over with. Here's the thing though about it it's like you know we were surging but i had no idea because i had no radio experience i was just being myself but tom knew what he was doing fortunately right and and luckily for us it was a very soft market you know wcco which catered to people over the age of 90 was still the the uh, the uh, leading station in town for for ratings so um they were ripe for the plucking uh, and we were doing things, I think, uh, I don't know if it's your perspective, but I think the show was like nothing that had ever been on, on radio because we had all these people, and they were all genuine. They were all just being themselves. So here I was. I was a neurotic, depressed guy. It didn't occur to me until one day a guy called me from the Anti-Defamation League, and he said, Mike, you you got to stop this now. I said, what are you talking about? He said, you know, you come on and you 
tell stories about, uh, you know, being depressed and, uh, and you're giving the Jews a bad name. I said, no, I'm just being myself. He said, he said, what, what are you first? Are you an entertainer or a Jew? And I said, well, I'm an entertainer. He said, hey. <laughs> that was that. So it's like, you're on your own now. Um, but, but I didn't know, I don't know. I mean, we're, when, when you started doing stuff with the show, it, it had been on for a while. Right. So it's a good question because you kind of had to be there. And it was all this excitement. And, and, you know, all of a sudden I walk in, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm there like, you know, like first I started out doing picks from the track because it was 1985 and the track was just, it just opened. And, and then I said, well, you know, guys, I, I do football picks. That's my real thing. So they said, oh, well, call in and do your football picks. So I called in, did my football picks. And a couple of weeks after that, you know, Tom said, well, maybe it was Dave, the program director. Said, well, why don't you just come in and do them? I said, fine, I'll come in and do them. So I came in, I did my football picks. And, you know, Dave said, well, why don't you stick around for the rest of the show? <laughs> and that's kind of how it, it, it happened. It just kept kept building. Right. And um, I don't know, the show had an energy of its own, but it, it was absolutely incredible i i've been on the show uh, probably probably like i've been there almost full time for a few months i got a call one day uh and a guy said uh, it was a guy who was uh, he was he was uh, he was a producer radio radio commercial producer he worked at an ad agency and he said mike i'm trying to i'm trying to get a hold of you everywhere i, I can't find your agent <laughs> like agent yeah, I, I need you to come in to do a spot this afternoon. And I said, he said, can you do it? I said, yeah, I'll be there. <laughs> now, I, I, you know, I didn't really know if I could do it. But I figured, what the hell, he thinks I can do it, so maybe I can. And I went in there, and I was, actually, I was just too, I was just too kind of amazed by everything to be nervous, you know. Otherwise, I would have been. And then I started getting work, not because I could act. I couldn't act. I never could act. But just because I had a quirky voice, right. so things just started building. It was just like that. But I'll, I'll tell you something about the football picks, and and, and we really will leave it at that, because um, I think I've overstayed my welcome. But <laughs> oh, this is this has been my, good. My favorite moment from doing football picks was uh, you know, I had really good years and I had really bad years, mm-hmm. and this was one of the. It's, it's, this is. This is kind of like my brand, you know. I remember the bad things. I can't help it. And so I was not going well. And finally, I hit my absolute nadir. Uh, I, and I had, like, way too many picks. Normally, when you're doing football picks, you should have three or four picks. And I, I, I had, like, like, nine picks that week. You're going to lose if you do that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, uh, I went one and eight. And... A guy, a guy calls up and he and he says to me, he says to me, you didn't go one and eight. I said no. He said you were zero and nine. You gave yourself an extra half point on that Tampa game. I thought, okay, it can't get any worse than this. <laughs> I'm one and eight, and he's challenging the one. <laughs> well, he probably he, either he lost or won or something, <laughs> or he was just mad at you because he. He took your advice and lost it. It could be, yeah. Anyone who took my advice was a fool. (laughs) I didn't even take my advice. I don't know why anyone else would. Well, this has been outstanding for me. Um, 
Yeah, it's been fun. <laughs> to uh, pick your brain, I knew that I'd be able to touch a lot of topics. We'll probably get a lot of people who <laughs> who will have comments and thoughts and whatnot. And um, I appreciate well, it's, it's, uh, appreciate time for us to have lunch again one of these days. So, yeah, what job I have now is kind of hard. Oh, is that right? Unless you want to eat at three o'clock in the afternoon or something. No, but that that usually works for me. Yeah. Okay. Because um, when I go in, I work a, a basically a straight eight hours. Because <laughs> what I'm I'm doing. Wow, you go in early too, huh? Yeah, I go in early. I go in at six o'clock in the morning, and what I do is I place orders for uh, different buildings around campus for their cleaning supplies. Ah. And, I, and I don't speak to anybody or anything. I just go to different rooms on campus, and they have a um, card of what tells me it's supposed to be there, and I just basically replace what isn't there. <laughs> mm. You know, with a hand, hand held hand scanner, so yeah. it's, like, it's all computerized, and the card has, uh, you know, codes for each item, and I just scan the code and put in the quantity and do that room and close that and go on to the next. So it's a, I really like it because I don't have to deal with people. <laughs> people let you down too much. You think so. <laughs> That's the one thing I've learned over my soon to be 60 years on this earth. Is ah. <laughs> not, saying, yeah. not saying all people do, not saying people do it every day, but for the most part, people let you down. Well, yeah, that's true. But you know, you 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 got to put yourself in uh, in the position to be let down because if not, uh, right. you, what do you have? Nothing. You'd be like me, alone, lonely. The phone never rings. <laughs> you know, I I when the when I get the robocall from Walgreens saying my prescription's ready, I try to keep the woman on the phone. Well, that's they, how bad it is. I don't know how or why this is happening, and I think maybe it's because I've hit a certain age. And they think I'm gullible. <laughs> but it's the, your car warranty has run out, and I don't have a car warranty. It's like, uh, or yeah, yeah. you you know, we're just calling you on your, on your email requesting more information on this program. And it's like, I've never sent that email in my life. Because <laughs> I don't, uh. it's like, I got great health insurance or, you know, my finances are fine. I don't. Need, I don't need a loan or whatever. It's like. I wonder how many people they sucker in to believe in that they were the one who initiated this whole conversation in the first place. Well, you know, I, I'm at the age where I'm now. I'm getting. Uh, I'm getting spam uh, from uh, you know cremation societies, and that's that's where it starts to get a little depressing. You know. Right. When, when someone's calling, uh, volunteering to uh, immolate you, right. then I feel like that's that's a pretty bad sign. <laughs> we'll end it on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for having me. I, I enjoyed talking to you, and I will enjoy talking to you, I'm sure, uh, whenever we get together. Yeah. And um, I really appreciate the time. And whatnot. So you haven't been recording this, have you? Oh, yeah. I'm <laughs> no, just kidding. It's long enough to be cut in half, so. <laughs> yeah, well, that's you got a lot of work to do. Yeah, well, it's not that hard. <laughs> and it's... <laughs>
<laughs> Today's guest has been Michael Stretch. Oh, where did the nickname Stretch come from? Uh, when I first uh, started uh, on the show, like I said, I started out, you know, just doing a few football picks. Right. And so I think it was Tom, of course, came up with it. And it was sort of a double pun, stretched because I'm very short and right. also because of the stretch drive and horse race. Okay. That makes sense to me. Well, and I'm, I'm still uh, I'm still play the horses. That's, I started that way and I'll end that way. They say they say all horse betters die broke. Mm-hmm. The fact is, almost everybody dies broke. So why mm-hmm. should I feel bad about that? And my and the sponsor of this show is into sports, well horse betting. So there you go. Good. Well, That's right. I, 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 I yeah, I heard that. I, I got to get together with with Mike Bryan and talk about the ponies someday. Oh yeah, he would enjoy that because he he actually tweets about. It. Yeah, yeah. I, I should definitely get together with him because he it seems like he sponsors uh, you know every podcast I'm on. <laughs> podcast or radio show, and I, and I had him on here and I asked him that. He said, "I just enjoy radio." So. Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> At least there are a few people who still do. Yeah. All right, man. All right. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll see you soon. Yep. Take care. Thanks. Yep. It's been Mike, uh, again, it's been Michael Stretch Gelfan, newspaper writer, TV, radio person, uh, personality, touching all the bases with his opinions here on the JB's Low Tech Podcast. In Pennsylvania, a teenage girl that was about to turn 18 was driving her brand new car home when she looked down to check a text message and struck a tree, killing herself and injuring a friend in the car. The average message takes 4.6 seconds to create. Hi, I'm Mike Bryant from Bradshaw and Bryant. Please don't drive while intoxicated or allow your friends and family to do so. No text message or phone call is worth dying for. Find Mike Bryant at MinnesotaPersonalInjury.com. MinnesotaPersonalInjury.com. Mike Bryant, seeking justice for the injured. Michael Stretch Gelfan, and uh, just wanted to go down memory lane, also get his opinions on some things that are going on in this country. I knew he would have strong opinions about different things, but we'll be back with new and exciting episodes here on the JB Low Tech Podcast. JB is my name, and f***ing up motherfuckers is my game. I am Negro Black. African American black, black, black. Django, J. B. Damn, Dolomite. Great card in heaven, you know. J. B. Our great Negro sex machine.